0: Welcome to Body Liberation for All, the only podcast dedicated to bringing you all the self-help with none of the white or het supremacy. This show is dedicated to helping BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus people live happier, healthier, and easier lives. If you're a person of color or you like people of color, if you're part of my queer fam or you happen to love us because you know a good thing when you see it, then this is for you. If this isn't for you, please go away Thank you in advance. If this is exactly what you've been looking for, come on in and invite your friends. Let's get this body liberation party started.
1: Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey smile on them live your life just how you like it it's your party negativity is not invited for my queer folk my trans people of color let your voice be heard look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first you were born to win head up high with confidence this show is for everyone so i thank you for tuning in let's go
0: Welcome back. Today, we have a special guest on the show, Lindley Ashline. She has done a ton of work around body liberation and fat Activism. She is intersectional. She's a creative person. She's amazing. Her photography is beautiful. You should definitely check out her website. All those links will be in the show notes. Today, we're talking about everything from the sacrifices and the rewards that you get from fully stepping into what you want to do in your business and in your life and focusing on the people that you want to serve and allowing other people to fall away and this was really relevant for me this week. So it was a great discussion, very helpful to hear Lindley explain how her vision for her business has evolved over time, how her branding has changed, and how she sustains her energy as an activist. Serving people who are just barely getting acquainted with true inclusion and breaking down systems of oppression can be really exhausting. Lindley's explanation of how you find your way and sustain your energy and serving who you want to serve is very, very helpful. And I think everyone is going to get a lot out of this discussion. Before we jump right into that, I want to send out a very special thank you to Heidi. Heidi is a supporter of the show. You should be like Heidi. Heidi is making a pledge every month. To support the show, the link to be a patron of the show is in the show notes. It doesn't matter the size of your donation, it could be anywhere from a dollar a month to whatever you feel comfortable with. It all will absolutely help sustain the show, pay for hosting, and pay for improvements with equipment and help me get the message out to even more people. So thank you so much, Heidi, for supporting the show. All right, everybody, let's jump right in. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. So this oh, is take two, everybody. Lindley is an angel, in case you didn't know it. And even though I always make people stay on the phone with me after the interview is over, people need an out. But then I felt so guilty and I thought back, like, I think I kept you for like two hours. And then where's the recording? No.
2: Who knows? We had we had a good time and we're going to have a good time today. <laughs> and honestly, no, no I don't remember I any it. of what I said or what we talked about. So it'll all be fresh. <laughs> Perfect. You know what's so interesting? I do
0: vaguely remember thinking when we finished that the title that you chose for the episode didn't seem to match what we ended up talking about. We went in a different direction. Uh But since we last talked, I've had a development in my life, an incident. I think this was yesterday. It was yesterday. And now the title of How Being Yourself Changes the World feels so timely. So I don't know how airy-fairy you are, but maybe this was meant to be. Maybe the universe wanted me to somehow destroy the recording without even knowing how it even happened. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so interesting. So I, focusing on this podcast, I want it to be like super queer, super brown, super intersectional. All kinds of bodies, all the things. And I'm not comfortable being closeted. So I say that to say I've probably been out to my friends for 15 years, maybe 20 years. I'm getting old, but (laughs) I've never had this conversation with my parents or any of my immediate family, only my brother. Mm -hmm. And this podcast essentially outed me, which was my plan. But I've been wondering, like, when's the conversation happening? When is it happening? But I realized through this phone call with my sister, they're very, very conservative. I was raised kind of fundamentalist Christian. So I knew this was never going to be like, oh, we love you, we affirm you, accept you. I knew that wasn't going to happen. But I just was wondering, what will it really look like? What will it feel like? So it felt really bad. And it made me wonder for half a second. It made me question. Is being yourself that important? And the things that you have to sacrifice when you decide to be yourself fully. I mean, there's some validity to that, that it is a sacrifice. But the payoffs, I feel, are huge. And it's also important to model that for other people. But when you thought about that title, what was coming up for you? And what has your struggle or your experience been with fully being yourself and how that makes a difference in the world around you.
2: Well, I'll be honest. I picked that title a long time ago and I have no idea, but I have (laughs) thoughts now that may or may not be the same as they were then.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is a crazy time. It's like COVID time. And we all saw the shit show that was the debate and that's in air quotes yesterday. And it's really hard to remember what we thought about anything even a day ago. We seem to be changing. Some people don't seem to be changing at all, but the rest of us seem to be going through massive amounts of growth in rapid time. So that was a long time ago.
2: Yeah. And I've had a lot going on in my personal life, some of which I can talk about and some of which is sort of, it isn't my story to tell, but someone who's close to me has had a pretty major health transition in a way where we're navigating some new things. And honestly, like right now, my goals are sleep, <laughs> and keeping up enough with my daytime work that I'm keeping commitments that I've made. Oh, and then next week I get to collapse into a, a well-deserved break. I'm so excited. So did you have to go back to
0: work already, or now you're just working from home and doing more
2: my own business work? Yeah, oh, you know, because okay. I, I have deadlines and things for my writing clients, and I'm not doing any client photography right now because of COVID. But yeah, I have a big new website launch coming up, big things like that where I need to meet the commitments that I've made if, if I can, but. But also the great thing is that if I can't, my only boss is my cat. Who's probably, oh, yep. He's behind me.
0: (laughs) Judging you.
2: Judging judging you. I like that stand. Isn't it cute? (gasps) Amazon.
0: Do they ever go into the part at the bottom? Okay. I just want to know if anybody's cat ever uses anything they buy for them the way it's supposed to be used. And so far it looks like the answer is no. (laughs) No.
2: And she doesn't jump very well. So that jewel that's beside it, the, the square thing, that's so she can get up into it. Oh, she doesn't, doesn't cat very well. Care her. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I just
0: feel like this year, the comfort that we get from animals is more important than ever. I've been on a waiting list for cats for a minute, and I can never get one because so many people are getting pets this year. They really do help with stress management. And I think they don't get enough hype when it comes to how important they are for self care for people who do love animals. And the cats and their purring, I think it actually heals people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we had two cats and we lost one in April and she just had a sudden medical condition and passed away. And before losing a a loved and valued family member, it sort of was kind of the best possible scenario in the sense that we had the privilege to be able to get her some very expensive medical care very quickly. And we're able to spend another week with her. And when she passed, we were both there. She waited until we were both there. And I can't talk about this because I'm going to cry. But but she waited until we were both there, and it was quick and you know probably painless. We don't know, but it was not. Sorry, (laughs) it Um, was very difficult. But it was also sort of the easiest way it could have gone, if that makes sense. But losing a family member in the middle of a pandemic has uh, been that's horrible. (laughs) That's been an interesting thing too. And of course, the question has been, are you going to go adopt again? And I feel like it's a combination of not being ready and of wanting to give our remaining cat some time because they didn't get a.
1: So, so people people kept
2: asking, you know, "Oh, is your other cat grieving?" No, my other cat's throwing a freaking party. <laughs> like she doesn't get picked on anymore. She's delighted. Um, they're so interesting because she has kitty PTSD.
0: (laughs) Well, it's so funny how it doesn't matter with some cats, how long they're together. If they don't like each other, they never change their mind ever. And it looks as though their family ties are really important to them when they live in the wild, they stay with their family. Right. And so that's why I've been trying to get siblings. So at a minimum, they would have someone else they were related to always. And that's really been another problem, trying to get two from the same Mm. litter. But it's been interesting because our cats both had congestive heart failure. And then Mm. I took one to be euthanized because I saw how much the other one struggled when he died. It Mm. was horrifying. And apparently Mm. the way cats have congestive heart failure is the same way people have congestive heart failure. Mm. And the thought of knowing that at some point they're going to just drown. And the panic that you feel when you're drowning, I just thought, oh, my goodness. no, just It's a no. So I took her to get it done. And the doctor was so nice and showed me the way they sedate them before they euthanize them that she was completely out. Like her whole body went limp. The way you do when you go under anesthesia, you don't remember anything. You don't feel anything. Right. So at least I know, of course, she wasn't excited because she was at the vet. It's just so interesting. All the times they've gone to the vet and thought like, this is a bad place. Bad things happen here. I did feel bad that like, "Mm, it is true. This is where you got medical care and this is where you were euthanized. Bad things do happen here. (laughs) It's (laughs) "It's true. true. It's It's true. Yeah. But I've waited long enough and it is true. You have to wait a while. You think about all the grief you have when they die, but then you think about all the joy you had while they were alive. And I'm just ready for that again, especially because I think I've reached my max as far as how much chemical help I can get getting through 2020 mm-hmm. before my liver packs its bags and just decides <laughs> to get out of here. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, we need to try some other things. We're trying sunlight. We're trying walking. And I need some animals in the house. I really think it would be one more tool in my toolkit to deal mm-hmm. with all this stress.
2: Yeah. I think I might've talked about this last time, but like my thing has been the houseplants. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. Cause first I really wanted that new cat energy, but then it was so clear that Blue, our our cat who is behind me is kind of relaxing for the first time in her whole kitty life (laughs) because the other cat was older than she was. And so we felt like we needed to give her some time And now I just wanted something lower stakes because I'd had my first cat, the one who passed away for 13 years. And we were kind Mm -hmm. of avatars for each other. And if I was upset, she was upset. And if I was sad, she was sad. And we were so closely connected. It sounds weird to say this about a pet, but pretty intense. And then what if I get a cat and it's not a good match? And then dealing with that. And I'm like, you know, houseplants are alive. There are some stakes. They're just not as high. And if I kill one, it was 15 bucks. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: Well, I've been going through them so fast. I do think they help with the air quality, some plants more than others. So I thought maybe that could help with mood too. But I cannot keep them alive. I got a hydroponic unit that I Uh am having more success with, but it comes with a Bluetooth functionality thing and it tells me the water's low. And even with that, I have killed a couple of plants in there. So I am not ready for all the, the planting you're doing.
2: Well, but also, like I said, I joined these Facebook groups. They're a lot of help because they're also local groups. So they're growing things in the same lighting conditions, in the same climate. But also the big thing for me was getting a humidifier and a fan, a tiny little USB fan, but just getting a humidifier because all the tropicals that you buy at the hardware store or whatever, all those tropical plants, they need higher humidity. And so I've always grown plants, but by grow, I mean, just keep alive until they eventually die.
0: Right. Like
2: like they're not growing. They're just not dying. And so I stuck them all in indirect light with a humidifier and suddenly they're growing, growing.
0: That I've never in my life considered buying a humidifier because it's just so damp here, but it probably is too dry for my orchid. For your indoor air. Yeah. Usually I buy dehumidifiers, but (laughs) you originally came from the South. So did you have a dehumidifier growing up? Oh
2: yeah. That would like just stay full of water. Yeah, yeah, and you just had to go empty it occasionally. Yes. But also, the other secret weapon is an app that tells me when to water things. What is it called? It's called Vera, V-E-R-A, okay. because I, I otherwise feel like... I will water things until they turn into mush.
0: Yeah, I had a cactus explode once, and I thought it was starting to look funny, and so I touched it a little bit, and it just, like, burst full of water. So oh. that sounds handy. I was listening to an old interview of yours where you're talking about the time before the internet really got going and that was during that time and it just wasn't intuitive that you should just look it up. Everything was just either ask the librarian, figure it out or find somebody older who looks like they might know. So how do you feel going through what we're going through now with access to all this information? Do you think it's helping or would we have been more comfortable going through all this in 2006? in live journal days?
2: You know, I think it's kind of a chicken and egg because I think if we didn't have access to all this information, we wouldn't have the same situation in the sense that if misinformation and disinformation didn't have the power to be passed around as quickly and radicalization couldn't occur as quickly, I think that we wouldn't have a situation that's so intense and so high stakes because, I mean, I don't think we could have had the situation in 1980. I mean, I'm not saying that we couldn't have some of the same elements, of course. You know, we could have had a Trump presidency in 1980. But I think it's more about the intensity of it and the stakes aren't the same as they would have been in 1980. I was born in 1980. I don't know what, you know, politics was like other than reading back about it. But I'm guessing that if white supremacists were trying to recruit you, you might come across a brochure or maybe a buddy would take you to like, I don't know,
0: yeah, I'm assuming or that something. someone you knew would have to decide, oh, they look turnable or they seem like a match or whatever.
2: Right. Or, or you might find a brochure at the bus stop or something. Right. <laughs> but you didn't have 24 7 news channels and mm-hmm. the medium bombardment that we have that radicalizes people very quickly and very widespread. Yeah. You know? So well, like, that
0: even Facebook, intentionally or unintentionally, even helped. Find affinity groups or affinity people. So, because I've even heard people getting ads that were clearly a stepping point to lead you to a hate group site. And they were like, why in the world am I getting this? And then later realized a relative of theirs who they're connected to on Facebook had for a moment been dabbling in some white supremacist research. And then decided, oh, that's not for me. But then Facebook was funneling those same types of interests to everyone he was connected to that matched his demos as far Mm -hmm. as white and male. So then you can like blow up as a hate group overnight reaching people you would have never even known were considering membership.
2: I was reading an article, I don't know, last night or this morning, it just came out about one of the ways that the Cambridge Analytica data got used in the 2016 election. We now know that there were lists of individuals, millions of individuals, but individual people who were on these, I can't remember what they called it in the news article, but it was like dis, (laughs) dis disinvited from voting kind of Mm -hmm. like specific people, uh, the majority of whom in most of these lists were people of color primarily Black folks, who were being specifically targeted individually with Facebook Mm. ads, discouraging them from voting or giving them some kind of misinformation or... I saw a lot of posts that they felt
0: true, and in hindsight, I kind of doubt it, that shared so realistic the way it was written, like old quotes Mm painting Hillary as just another disappointing closet racist. And I thought, you know, considering her age and everything else, I'm not voting for this rapist. I don't care what she said. So it didn't turn me and it didn't make me feel like I shouldn't go out and vote, but I could easily see mm-hmm. someone else feeling like, oh, well, why even bother?
2: Yeah. And it's very sort of <laughs> scarily smart. And then, you know, honestly, <laughs> I just, I hate admitting this because... It means that there are emails from the Trump campaign in my inbox all the time. But in 2016, I signed up for White House emails and also Trump campaign emails. And those get automatically forwarded into Evernote for later preservation and analysis. Just in case I ever want to go back and like run language analyses on them or whatever. But I get seven or eight of these per
0: day. Us a lot.
2: And again, I don't generally read them partly because they're very intense. And like the liberals are coming to get you and the Democrats lied again. And you know, they're very, aye, aye, they're aye. Just very intense. It, they're always turned up to 11. And most of them, the calls to action are campaign donations. But if you are getting seven or eight of these per day, every day, I have thousands of these. If you're getting that every day and you're being bombarded with this. And you were in any kind of vulnerable population who would be susceptible to believing this stuff and not fact-checking it. By this point, you would be so indoctrinated. Oh, yeah. You know, I just
0: rode around my neighborhood when I came home this evening to see who had taken... I say it as though anyone did. I really believed someone would have taken down their signage for Trump after the debate. No one. No one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if he shows up with, like, full wizard gear. What's so interesting to me is that disconnect between them thinking like, I still am going to want to go hang out with them and be buddies. These are people I spend time with. These are people who I eat with. It's just very odd the way people cannot see why I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm like, how are you not hearing this? this to me isn't even dog whistle stuff anymore. Like this is stuff I thought everybody could hear. It's very peculiar, but like you said, it's like disturbingly smart, the manipulation that we're seeing. And I think that you have to almost be marginalized in some way for you to be able to start to see how we are all being manipulated by the systems of power that are in place around us If they're serving you, it's hard to see it sometimes, or if you imagine they're serving you, because I've been thinking a lot lately about how toxic the concept of whiteness is and how diverse people of European descent were prior to arriving to the U.S. and all the things that you must give up to be white in the U.S. And all these things that to me look like signs of distress that I see among white Americans, and all the appropriation and desire for tradition and culture. It's like you had your own, but your parents, grandparents, grandparents gave it up. They got to Ellis Island. They said, we're changing your last name. And they said, cool, I'm white American now, end of story. And it really seems like it causes a lot of grief. Have you experienced that being marginalized as a fat person has given you an ability, basically sense BS on a label that skinny, able-bodied, cis white hat people usually just really struggle to grasp or even see, like they're literally blind to it.
2: You know, in some ways, yes, but I'm also not going to pretend like that I'm a magic detector of oppression in all its forms. I mean, the last time you and I met, you caught something that I said in the moment where I had been You
0: know, oh, when you said we were all surprised, yeah, we were all surprised to find out that sometimes police do bad things, and I was like, "Mm, you were surprised,
2: (laughs) but by all, I clearly meant people like me, which are clearly not the whole freaking universe. But having that lens, I think does help partly in the sense that you're more likely to believe other people when they speak. Because if I expect people to believe me when I talk about something related to fat oppression, of course I have to give somebody the floor when they want to talk about something that is homophobic or any other axis of oppression. I think it makes me more inclined to listen and to be like, oh, I should give this a hearing at least. I think it makes you more aware that there are lots of other intersections. Because once you start seeing those things, I think you're more likely to keep seeing them. But really, you know, I can't. (laughs) I would like to be able to claim that I'm somehow magically more aware of oppressions that aren't my own, but mostly just the importance of listening.
0: Right. And that's huge. That's That's crucial. It's so interesting. White supremacy affects all of us. It affects people of color. And I find myself wanting to give anybody white who isn't being like batshit, so much credit (laughs) for the most minimal
2: things. Yeah, I get a cookie for not being like that. (laughs) And I I realized- That's a low bar. uh, Yeah, it is a very low
0: bar. And now even thinking about driving through a neighborhood and seeing all my quote unquote friends and neighbors with their Trump signs out, this is a year of introspection and reflection and self-awareness on a level that I've never experienced. And I thought I'd already gone through a lot of levels of growth, but this year in particular, the importance of intersectionality and the importance of really digging deep to see what internalized BS do I have in me that I want to release and what is it going to take to get it done? And it's an ongoing thing, but to even hear your awareness to catch something that reflects another thing I want to work on reminds me that having a Variety of people around you is the key to working through your internalized bias because we keep reflecting back to each other areas that we need to take a look at.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and I learn from people who are bigger than I am. I learn from people who have different intersections, people who are fat and black, people who are fat and gay, people who are fat men because they have somewhat different pressures affecting them. So my job is to sit there and take notes, support them in whatever they're doing. Don't just lurk and then suck up all their labor and then leave. You know, Can so we my get that is,
0: one more time for the people in the back?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't just suck up all the labor and then leave. And I mean, I can't possibly track down everyone who I've ever read a blog post from and like give them $10. I, I can't, you know, like I'm a denizen of the internet. I take in a lot of information. And I can't possibly financially support every single one, but like I'm subscribed to a bunch of patreons just a couple bucks a month. I have a line item in my personal budget and I have a line item in my business budget, you know whether it's sort of related to what I'm doing or whether it's a more of a personal interest. then like I try to support people where I can't If nothing else, I can elevate their words. I can share what they're doing and make sure it links back to them and make sure that they're tagged and credited. I had somebody the other day on Instagram take a post of mine and repost it without tagging me or including my original caption. And I called them out and they were really shocked. And they said, why are you so mean about this? Because I'll be honest, I asked them when they were going to stop stealing content. <laughs> I think that's an excellent question. I actually think that that
0: is not mean at all. And their response should have been like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Busted. You know, sometimes when somebody calls you out, you have no defense. You're just like busted. Like there's nothing you can say. They've got a lot of nerve coming back with, why are well, the- you so mean? they didn't even try to credit you.
2: I think this person is bad at the internet and like, I think maybe they were taking screenshots of posts or something and then reposting those. Like it was clear that they didn't really understand. And I have also called out some people who very much understand and build their audiences that way. And that's not okay. But like, but honestly, I was feeling salty that morning. And I had just dealt with somebody who darn well knew better and who was stealing my ideas and reposting them as a thin white woman. And I had just finished dealing with that. I was extra salty. And I was like, when are you going to stop stealing content? And they took it down and they reposted it with credit. And after they were like, why are you so mean to me? And I was like, because I'm so tired of people doing this. And at that point, they were like, oh, like, I think they didn't understand the concept of giving credit, which... I don't know what this person looks like. I don't know what their identities are. It's not like they had a photo on their profile, but they seem to actually not understand, which is speaks to a certain level of privilege too.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, <laughs> thank you. I'm like, yeah, that means, this was this white head person. Probably, I'm pretty sure that's what that means. But, <laughs> You know, who knows? Maybe some other clueless person who doesn't, <laughs> yeah, who's yeah, bad yeah. at the internet, as you said. Well, it's funny. I've been hearing a lot lately about consent on a level that I hadn't even touched. Being born in the '80s, you know, this is a conversation that's new. Yeah, for sure. and that, taking it really deeply, as far as asking for people's permission and making sure people are comfortable. In workspaces as well. Like consent, even in a sexual context, was like really weak in the 80s. It was very, very a rapey decade, right? Yeah. Even in the teen movies. But now with work even, knowing that even if you credit someone and you tag them, that doesn't necessarily mean that's enough. What if they don't jive with your page and they don't want to be connected to you? Like you don't really have consent unless you asked.
2: Yeah. And I will admit that this is one that I struggle with because the framework of norms in my head about internet and business or internet and activism or whatever, being a good citizen of the internet. Is that as long as you tag and credit and their post was public to start with, like no taking people's private Facebook posts or whatever. But not only is that okay, but it's encouraged because you're helping lift up their voices and give them publicity, particularly for people who have larger platforms to start with. Elevating other voices is really important. And I'll be really honest. I mean, every time I want to share something that's already public, the idea of having to find a contact method for them. And contact them and ask them specifically and wait for them to get back to me. And remember what I wanted to share in the first place is really daunting. Right. Glad
0: i like to hear I, this
2: from a photographer. <laughs> I find this really daunting, particularly because I've also heard of reactions from some people in marginalized communities who are content creators or business people who are like, please, God, don't ask me every time you want to share something because uh, otherwise I would do nothing but deal with requests.
0: Oh, good problems to have.
2: But I also feel like this is relatively easy to deal with in the sense that both Facebook and Instagram, I don't know about Twitter. I don't really do Twitter. Sorry. But both Facebook and Instagram have uh, the ability to have pinned posts or pinned stories. And so what I have started doing is putting my boundaries, both my personal boundaries and my boundaries for my social media spaces in pinned posts and pinned stories. And that way, every time you go to my profile right at the top, there are my boundaries. And so what I need to do is I need to add to that my personal preferences for please share it. If it's public, please tag me and credit me. Please don't send me a request. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. Oh, I'm going to do that too. Yes. It's public. Share it, please. But again, I'm not the universe. Well, I want everyone (laughs) to know that
0: I absolutely want you to reshare my content and (laughs) tag me and help me grow. But I hadn't thought about clearly expressing your yeah, boundaries. make it a boundary.
2: And of course, I cannot expect everyone to do that labor for me either, because one person on one podcast said you should do that. That would be a clear <laughs> way to do it. So that is something that we're going to continue to see evolve and that we're going to have to navigate. And of course, if I see someone express that boundary, I will try to remember it. But it is a major shift in the way the internet works.
0: I think the platforms should think about you being able to have that be something you tick on or off that, you know, yes, retweet this, repin this, reshare this versus no. Yeah. But, you know, nobody asked me, but maybe that's something that will happen
2: <laughs> <laughs> down the you road. Know, I, I sus- not to be depressing, but I suspected that it won't simply because sharing is such a fundamental part of mm. the way that social media platforms are constructed And also because the social media platforms have made it very clear that they give not one single crap about people's preferences or health.
0: (laughs) That is so true. For half a minute there on Pinterest, and Pinterest has not blown up like some of these other sites, but there was really a moment there where there were all these restrictions on making sure you have permission to pin things. Oh, really? And I guess eventually people mellowed out about that, but I think it was the same thing. People felt like other people were growing an audience exclusively based off of other people's work, Mm -hmm. other people's ideas, which Mm -hmm. is obviously not the way it should be done. It's one thing to curate something and maybe do like a carousel post or something where you're bringing in all these things and it could lead to people discovering someone and going back out, but to intentionally bring everybody to you using someone else's content again and again and again, that's not acceptable.
2: Well, and particularly in Instagram is where I have encountered it. I would bet that it happens everywhere. But I found too that particularly when you're in an activist space where people are doing a lot of thought work and a lot of exchange of ideas and building on other people's ideas, especially when you're all talking about a relatively limited topic, like say in my sphere, intuitive eating or health at every size or anti-diet principles or fat acceptance, there's a lot of minds running in parallel and a lot of exchange of ideas and people building on what other people have said, which is great. But what that can really easily lead to is you read a post by somebody and you sort of internalize the language that they have used. And then two weeks later, you forget that that didn't come from you. (laughs) That that's not yours. And I don't mean a very general concept like fat bodies are worthy of being treated equally, or we know that scientifically that diets don't work. I'm talking about a very specific, maybe an activist concept or thought. And then the next time you're on deadline for an Instagram post, you regurgitate it using that same language. And you may or may not have intended to steal that, but it becomes pretty obvious plagiarism. And I finally had to blog this thin white woman I mentioned because there were a couple of instances of this where about three weeks later, She would kind of regurgitate the same thing I was saying and she had liked my post and sometimes she would comment on those posts. And so clearly she was seeing the words I was saying. It's not like she was just pulling those out of thin air. Like she read the post where I said those things to start with. And I think initially she didn't intend to do it. I think that she internalized that so thoroughly that it Mm. came back out as her own thought, even though it wasn't. But the third time it happened, I had written a post that had to be written very specifically from a fat perspective. And this woman, not being a fat woman, not have that same, same perspective. So she rewrote it very poorly as if it were coming from a thin person. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense that way. And it was a long post. So the, the whole structure was the same. And like, it was like a really bad high school. Oh, wow. Like when you're trying not to plagiarize. And so you're like, yes, slightly different words.
0: And I've uh, noticed some people are running things through engines and trying to use AI to make them not guilty of plagiarism. But so far, <laughs> that stuff does not work. It, it comes no, out really, Ill, yes. This episode is brought to you by the Body Liberation for All community. If you are tired of digging through self-help resources for things that actually apply to your lived experience, I've got you covered. The Body Liberation for All community is 100% centered on LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC identities. Every resource that you will find there was created with you in mind. There are so many things that are unique to the queer and the person of color experience that are not being addressed in any other wellness circles. This is where you need to be to find resources crafted with your experience in mind that will help you live the happiest, most fulfilled version of your life. If you'd like to learn more, just visit community.daliakinsey.com. The link is in the show notes. So that is an excellent example of how shady it is for someone who claims they're an ally to a community to come in and steal the message from someone who's from that community and then put themselves out there at the forefront.
2: Yeah. And the thing, too, is that the things that she was taking were about two steps more advanced than her own thoughts too. So all of a sudden she'd be coming out with a rel for her or this really radical post because it wasn't hers. But then what it was also, of course, it's ridiculous and and infuriating to watch your content being stolen. But what was also happening is because someone in a very normative body was posting this, Mm. when I would post the same thing, I would just get this deluge of trolls. And then I would get like two people going, yeah. And when this woman would post it, she would get 25 people going, yeah, and she would get zero trolls. And then she would be building her audience on that and her business on that. And then it was like, oh, isn't, insert name here, isn't this person wonderful? You know, wow. and and I'll admit that that watching somebody else get a whole bunch of kudos for something that you did and kind of felt punished for is really infuriating. And then I spent like a week going, am I going to confront her? Because I had a few choices. I could have called her out publicly and like posted side by sides because it was obvious enough that once you saw it was side by side, it was very clear. And I took the screenshots so that I had them, you know, so that I had. I like that. Have Um, options. Yeah, buddy. I've got receipts. I've got those side by sides. And in fact, I posted them, I did post them on my Instagram event my stories eventually with the names blocked out, but, but, but uh, because, so I've got those receipts, Then, like, do I call her out publicly and risk torpedoing my own reputation because it's clear that I have done my own homework. I've done my own work. It is clear that these are plagiarized, but if I have a thin woman with more power than me and my own community mad at me that may have professional ramifications for me. So it's not just my career at this point is in this activist community. And so I have self-preservation thoughts to think about beyond just, is this random lady going to be ticked off at me? Because we are part of the same professional community. Mm. So am I going to sink, say maybe the writing side of my business because suddenly nobody will hire me because this woman has been maybe talking about me behind my back. I don't have any way to know. So am I going to call her out publicly? Am I going to call her out sort of semi-anonymously with the screenshots, with the names blocked out? Am I going to message her directly and be like, stop, (laughs) you know? And then once again, risk this damage or am I just going to do nothing? And so I sort of took the middle road and I I posted the side-by-sides, but without the name. And then I blocked her. (laughs) Oh, I love it.
0: I have been hearing be blocked and be blessed a lot lately because there's so, there's so much going on that sometimes depending on how much energy you have. And like you said, what else you stand to lose, maybe that's the best solution.
2: Yeah. And I mean, this is really small potatoes in that it's, with one random lady on Instagram. This is like the smallest of small potatoes. Um, But I think it's a good example of how people who are in marginalized communities at various levels of risk, what they risk by speaking up. When you created this podcast, you knew that that might torpedo your relationship with your family. You know, there are lots of things at stake when people speak out beyond just, oh, is this random lady on Instagram going to be mad at me? Right. (laughs) But I think it's a low stakes example of the risk people take.
0: Absolutely. And it is so interesting how often people who have access to more privilege don't acknowledge that. I recently started a coaching program that's specifically for women of color, fems of color, honestly, and not just people assigned female at birth. And she really digs into that, how much coaching from thin, cis, white women doesn't serve you If they're saying things like, yeah, girl, just put it out there. Just be yourself. You just got to... When probably they've never experienced, if I speak up, I could lose my job. I could lose my home. I could lose my life if I speak up. It takes a whole lot more to work through that initial reaction to not want to say anything and to wonder, is it worth it to say anything? So this coaching program has been really helpful. Even though I started the podcast right before I enrolled in that program, it really has been helping me lift my voice up faster and see things that I hadn't noticed were not just happening to me. So sometimes you see things in yourself and you don't recognize, oh, this is an experience that all marginalized humans are having. This isn't just my weird way of coping in the world. I'm not just being a chicken. I'm not just a fearful person because you hear that from a lot of coaches who are like blissfully ignorant who say, oh, well, you just have a block against daughter, you know, who are very reductionist. Yes. Manifest your dream. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. If you have all of these hurdles to clear. And it's so interesting because I do feel like I'm manifesting my dreams but I have to fight so much internalized misogyny, racism, sexism, homophobia to make that possible. And they have to face real consequences. Like if I want to totally be myself, I have to accept that that means I will be alienated from parts of my family. If I want to totally be myself, I have to accept that that also means that there will be a lot of people in my professional community that will never tell me to my face that I've been blacklisted as someone who has too much to say about misogyny, too much to say about diet culture, supporting systems of oppression and upholding white supremacy and oppression of all people assigned female at birth. There are consequences if you're actually pushing the envelope. So in your life, I imagine that was super frustrating to see her like celebrated for saying the same damn thing you said (laughs) that got you trolls.
2: I would like to say that I sat down and I meditated and I rose above it. No, no, I'm sorry. I got really mad. And I got mad over the course of like six months because every time it happened, I get more mad about it. And I grabbed a whole bunch about it privately to some friends. And then I angrily made screenshots. And then I wrote something really snippy about it and put it on my Instagram stories and then I blocked her and then I, then I let it go, <laughs> but there was no gracious process of rising above the oppressors here. Like there just wasn't, I would like to be that person, but no, I'm the person that gets angry and salty. <laughs> exactly.
0: well, I think that's great to acknowledge that too. And to acknowledge how long it took you, because it depends on which buttons the person pushes. Either it could take me six months or forever. <laughs> yeah. Or I just immediately lose my mind. There seems to be like... Slow burn, fast burn. (laughs) No in-between at all. How do you usually cope with bullies, with you being so visible and with people having their feathers ruffled every time somebody says like, all bodies are good bodies and we don't believe in white supremacy or thin supremacy around here. How do you deal with all of the backlash usually?
2: Mostly I block and delete and move on because really early on, I had to decide where my lane was because there's a certain sort of strain of thought or trope, I don't know what exactly what to call it, in activism that our duty as activists is to walk people down that path and to take people from being cheerfully bigoted in whichever way that they're cheerfully bigoted and change people. And when we talk about fat phobia specifically, and we talk about body acceptance and body image and all these interrelated things about body size specifically, there are people who are really good at 101 work. People who are really good at taking somebody who, I mean, I think there's only so much you can do with somebody who's not ready to listen, but people who are really good at taking the people who may or may not be ready and leading them gently through considering fat people to be human beings. That's not me. So there's kind of a certain strain of thought that if somebody is trolling you or concern trolling you, which is just a gentler version of trolling, that you sort of owe it to the world and owe it to them to convince them that you're right. And so for the first couple of years of my business, I kind of like the ones that were just outright trolling, I would still block and delete them, move on, minimize the harm that they can do. But then, like the concern trolls. Oh, I try. I try so hard. I talk them through the science, and I talk them through maybe fat people are human too. Maybe you should give that some thought. I don't do that anymore. If you're not sounds daring, exhausting.
0: Sounds yeah, it's really exhausting. Tiring.
2: I'm not good at it. I'm not good at debate. Like I don't get any energy from that. So I work with people who they know that what they previously known to be true is wrong. Okay, where do I go from here? I'm ready to like work on this. <laughs> where do I go? That's more where I step in. And so knowing where my lane is means that if someone needs more support than I can give them, like on an Instagram post, I can direct them towards the people or resources that they need, but I am not responsible for doing that. And what that also means is that I've also developed a lot of thoughts on my responsibility to my community as an Mm. activist, and that dictates a lot of what I do, my boundaries, as an activist and what I'm willing to do for people. Because if I have someone who comes into my, I don't run a Facebook group anymore, but the Facebook group that I used to run, or they come onto my Facebook post, or they come onto Instagram and they want to fight about whether diets work. If I indulge that, if I spend two hours of my life working with this one person trying to convince them, that means that everybody in my community has to watch that. I mean, they don't have to, but they're likely to run across it. And in the course of that, they're likely to run across a whole lot of bigotry and a whole lot of hatred and multiply that for every person of the dozens of trolls I get at any one time. You know, every one of those trolls, if I'm out there trying to convince them, I'm not protecting the people that I'm actually there for. Because I'm honestly, I'm really there for the fat folk. I'm not there to be an endless free educational resource for thin people who are thinking about maybe considering me to be human.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes, that's not, my, that's not when my problem. did you realize
0: that your passion was actually serving the fat people that were being marginalized? How did you get that clarity on like, one-on-one is not for you? Because that turns that space into an educational space for
2: the people that aren't suffering. You know, honestly, it was having a really terrible photography client. <laughs> mm. It cl- kind of clarified everything for me. This is someone who, um, I was pretty early in my business and I was openly fat positive at that point. Also, a lot of my business materials were sort of very gentle BOPO, very gentle body positive. You know, you are worthy too. And those messages are important too, but they weren't necessarily all that coherent with where the heart of my business was. And so it was possible, as was proven with this particular client, it was possible if you came in through word of mouth locally and and you just came directly in and signed up, it was possible for somebody, uh, as this client did to think that, oh, she might say some Bopo stuff, but really she's going to act like sort of a normal photographer. She's going to Photoshop me so I don't look fat. She's going to do this and she's going to do that, that mainstream photographers do. I don't do that stuff. I never have and I never will. I don't know how to do the type of retouching in Photoshop where they make your skin look like a China doll and they take away all your fat rolls. I don't know how, because if I don't learn how, I can't be tempted. And I can't do it on client request because I I don't know how. (laughs) So what that means is that this poor client came in. Well, I say poor, she was really nasty to me. And I was very (laughs) upset at the time, but but this client came in expecting one experience and she got something a little bit different. And because she was very fundamentally uneasy in her own body, when she was forced to confront what her body actually looks like, she took it out on me. And you're just going to have people that you don't, Mesh with occasionally. But this is someone who saw her body, was fundamentally shocked. I don't know, but I suspect this is someone who was in recovery or or struggling with an an eating disorder, possibly just from some of the things that she said. He wasn't ready for that experience. And I did not put enough positive barriers in her way to screen her out Mm. because I was so invested in being available for 101 in all aspects of my business and my work. So having this client who was very, very unhappy with her images and did not have a good experience and she came back at, a couple of weeks later and wrote me this really 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 nasty email um, oh, that that was mostly about her pain that she was externalizing onto the service that she had forced so I refunded her we all moved on you know it was fine but it really forced me to step back and think like what am i doing here who am i serving if i am leaving the barn doors too far open I'm not giving the people that I really want to serve, who are the people who are ready to move forward. I'm not giving them clear enough messages that this is where they belong. And I'm also not doing a service to the people who aren't ready for that because then they are going to push themselves into an experience they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. And having that clarity about my client photography sort of rippled out to everything else. And I stopped feeling obligated to entertain these people who want to come in and throw random CDC weight loss studies at me that don't actually show what they are claiming it shows. And, you know, I'm not ever going to read a CDC study linked to me on Instagram ever again. Right. <laughs> for like, because that is not what I am here for. You know, if you want to go right. argue that there are people who will happily argue all day. I'm not that person. So that's how I kind of got that clarity. Like this is my lane. These are the people who are in other lanes that I can refer to who do other work and have that energy or are in other marginalizations or a while back I had quite often with trans folks who were experimenting with the presentation differently or experimenting with fine tuning or whatever. And they want to see themselves on camera, but they may or may not be out publicly or whatever. And it's an honor to be sort of that space where they can do that. And it's just really cool too, to be like, I get to help with this. That's amazing. And I had a point. Oh, I had someone come to me a while back who wanted to do something similar, but they wanted to do a very heavy pinup style in a way that I would not have been able to give them a good experience because I don't specialize in pinup and what they wanted would either have required... Like some big prop construction, almost set construction, or some major, major Photoshop in a way that is just outside my skill set. So then I was able to refer them out to someone's I know from other referrals, uh, a safe place to explore and to have that skill set. So at this point, I know who I can refer out to, both from a social media standpoint, from a learning standpoint, but from a services standpoint, and to have this whole constellation of this is where I belong, this is what I can speak knowledgeably about, this is my lane. And here are all these other people. And so it keeps me from having to do everything for, for everyone because I also burn out really hard around that time. And I had to start evaluating what am I here for and how much can I reasonably do as one human. But it let me sort of acknowledge that, you know, as a perfectionist and as someone with an anxiety disorder, sometimes it's hard for me not to be, to try to be everything to everyone because then I'm failing. And realizing that there are other lanes and people feel those quite adequately without my presence <laughs> was really freeing too. So now I have the space boundaries. I have all these deliberate checks and gateways in my client process for my photography. Like you know what you're getting into.
0: Oh, I love you know, that.
2: You by the time by the time you interact with me personally, either you're in or you've run away terrified.
0: <laughs> right. I
2: love that that clarity to put those
0: checks in. And also to understand that you don't need to be everything to everyone. And if you try to do that, you actually underserve your target or who you initially really felt drawn to serving. But your approach also sounds kind of contrary to what you typically hear about a successful business model rooted in capitalism, where the Mm -hmm. focus is, well, maybe I should call it toxic capitalism, where it's just... Profits over people and anytime substantial money comes your way, you grab it, even if it's not the best situation for the client. So did you have any fear about not being able to make a business work in an ethical way, the way that you do?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the thing is that it has taken significantly longer to build this kind of business where I feel like I'm being true to my own ethical framework. Than it would be if I were uh, particularly in the sort of the traditional model of photography where I'm photoshopping it up and I'm only showing aspirational bodies on my portfolio and I'm promising that I'll make you look thin because that's generally the promise, the unspoken, mostly promise mm-hmm. that gets put out there. Yeah, it's taking forever. And I am able to do that because of my own privilege. I'm a highly educated, cisgender, fat white woman who lives on her husband's income in a hetero marriage. He supports us both. I am slowly gaining sustainability in the business, but it is not. I've paid myself like three times this year. And it's been amazing. That's great. <laughs> I broke even <laughs> last year for the first time on, on year. That's well, amazing because,
0: because you're so... Your work to me is prolific and you're well-known. So it's so interesting to me to see the Bod pause movement gain all this momentum but really only be bankrolling stuff that skinny white girls are doing or like small fats. Because even I may experience a tiny amount of depression for being in a fat body, but I am still in a small fat body. So I feel like I've got no business being the spokesperson For the fat liberation movement, because I literally have no business being the spokesperson for fat liberation movement. So it's like infuriating to know that some people are making all this money off of a movement, because they're intentionally or unintentionally, maybe it's just a coincidence that what they wanted to do fits so well within this toxic capitalist model. Why are you being rewarded for kind of half assing the bod you know, like saying like, oh, I want all women to feel comfortable in their body. And then you show all these images where people have the tiniest of roles. They obviously still fit in seats and can buy clothing anywhere they go. Why would that person be the one who gets to represent the movement and benefit essentially from the suffering of others? It, it just feels super sketchy and very familiar.
2: Yeah. And this is something that, that I rant about a lot. Personally, <laughs> I have some very ranty journal entries about it, that exact thing. And it's so multifaceted too, because it also gives people useful gateways. If someone encounters me who has never encountered Jess Baker, my messages are pretty radical and I don't pull a whole lot of punches these days. My messages have gradually gotten you know more and more blunt and less and less <laughs> soft and kind. But once again, somebody who's not ready to hear that is going to come in and hear me saying the words thin privilege and they're going to go, that's not a thing. What's this crazy lady talking about? And they're going to drop a troll comment and run (laughs) because they're not ready for it. And I seem to be talking about Jess a lot today. So I'm going to talk about Jess. You know, Jess has built a following and she acknowledges and she has progressed in her own attitude and her own realizations about this over time. But Jess is a small fat who originally came to prominence in the body positive movement because she did a play on an Abercrombie photo shoot but it was in her small fat body and it went viral and it got picked up by a bunch of media outlets and I think she has acknowledged that that is unlikely to have happened had she been in a body that was any fatter than it was and done precisely the day. same thing yeah right yeah and so Jess is taking a face in that movement but she's also a really useful gateway for people she just wonderful 101 work. And so again, someone who encounters me who has not encountered somebody like Jess to take them through that basic stuff is unlikely to to be ready for that. So I do think it's a useful spectrum. I did hear Jess speak once and she talked about it being like a bridge. Like if one side of the bridge is total body liberation and the other side is complete body oppression. These are my words, not hers. I'm just paraphrasing. But she's kind of puts herself somewhere in the middle. Whereas I'm sort of all the way over on the... the seat That's what I'm ready for.
0: I have, I'm ready for <laughs> no punches pulled and to hear something totally different or radically different from what we see and hear every day.
2: Yeah. And there are people who are more radical than I am. And again, I'm, you know, I'm a cisgender white woman who is fat, but I'm not the very fattest by any means. You know, there are many, many other people who are just as well suited for talking about this, if not more, and they should all be supported and listened to. And I try to make it a point to, to elevate the point the voices of people with more marginalizations than me and people who are larger than me because I wear like a Lane Bryant size 26, 28. I can't speak for somebody who wears a clothing size 10 sizes larger. Like I can't speak to that level of oppression and and that lack of access because I have not experienced it. You know, like I'm sitting in an office chair right now, you know, your standard mesh back, Mesh seat with arms. I can buy a chair off the floor at Office Depot. <laughs> you know, right. um, it's kind of kind of a tight fit. I wouldn't fit if I were any larger, but I wouldn't fit if I were any larger. So there are barriers to access that I don't have, even though I do have plenty in my life. Uh, while I'm talking, I actually want to come back to something that you mentioned earlier, talking about these e courses and these accounts where people are like, "Just go for it, girl. Just, just you know, just go do the thing." My friend Brandy calls this confidence magic, (laughs) with magics being spelled (laughs) M-A-G-I-C-K, confidence magic, (laughs) PM, And uh, I want to make sure she gets full credit for that because I love it. But it's this this concept that you can just overcome anything with the right attitude. And I just wanted to touch on, you know... (sighs) I think confidence magic is really taking advantage of what privileges you do have is really what that translates to. Because if I put on makeup, I I only have on lip gloss right now, but if I put on makeup and I curl my hair attractively and I wear the right outfit, I can pass in a lot of spaces as someone with a lot more body privilege than I might possess if I didn't do that performing stuff. And if I go out and act confident, act like I expect to be treated well, people will treat me better if I do those things and I act like I expect that. But that doesn't still doesn't mean I can sit down in the waiting room at the doctor's office if they have chairs with arms. I still can't sit down. And in fact, I recently fired a doctor because I couldn't sit down in her office. And I asked her for two years to put a stool in her waiting room so that I could sit down. And she didn't. So I left. Just the disrespect. <laughs> well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you left. You gave them a lot more
0: time than I would have, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's learning to advocate for yourself in a medical context is an entirely different thing. That's a yeah. whole conversation. But I can use the privileges that I do have, again, as a white woman, particularly to get myself a certain amount of better treatment. But I still experience oppression that cannot be fixed by my smiling really big and acting confident mm-hmm. and maybe having some courage you know right like, and so and so the confidence <laughs> magic thing really resonates with me because it's such a silly concept because there are points at which you don't have access it doesn't matter how confident you are or or the how confident you act you can't fake it till you make it when Thank when you. it is a, an airplane seat <laughs> <You know? laughs> Right. Like, like I can't, I can't charm my way into you know. If, if my doctor is fat phobic, I can't charm my way out of that. You know, Thank I can't you. charm my way into appropriate medical treatment. Right. You know? It's I mean, like that. Of... somehow, I don't know. That's why it's magic. Maybe,
0: maybe for somebody else it works. Just the level of ignorance it takes for you to confidently say, "Girl, when I'm having a bad day, I just put on some red lipstick, and I just..." Blah, blah, blah. They're living in another world. And I'm to a point where I have zero patience for content that has taken my existence into consideration. And yeah. it pisses me off to pay for a service and to get that kind of content, to think, oh, yeah. this is something I can use, or this is something I need. And then everything was made with not even just thinking that I wasn't in the audience, but forgetting that I exist on the planet.
1: hmm <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's just infuriating.
2: Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to touch on right quick that, that we talked about earlier was the concept of the sacrifices and the advantages of being who you are. And we've touched on it a couple of times, but I want to talk about that a little bit. So I came from this corporate career and I'm going to talk about my, my personal stuff really briefly and then expand it. But I came from a corporate career. I came from a, a relatively conservative corporate career in the sense that I came from government contracting in Washington D.C., which is a very small C conservative industry. A lot of big money, a lot of defense technology, and you know it's very serious. And
0: you know yeah. people have
2: missile defense conferences and talk very seriously about it. And it's a very small C conservative industry. And I had a security clearance. I had uh, a secret clearance at one point. I was in the line to get a top secret, and and then the that contract got then the then the contract got canceled, and it was weird. And yeah, I ended up leaving. But then I was very uncomfortable in that industry, even though the money was good. But but I was very uncomfortable there, and I gradually moved over towards software, partly because I felt more called to, more drawn to that industry, and partly because it's a little more casual and a little less intense, um, a, a little less, like I said, a le- less small C conservative. And partly because I did want to do increasing amounts of activism. And when I started my business, I quit my day job and took a part-time corporate contract that I still work on and off to pay bills, <laughs> but, but I was quitting my, you know, my day job and I had to do some real reckoning. Like, am I going to do this under my real name? I mean, I'm going to be Googleable. So not only am I talking about body positive and fat positive concepts, but I'm taking photos of half naked, like, if I ever need to go for a clearance again, you know, we're in some financial situation or something happens to my husband and I need that clearance again, I don't know if I can get it. I don't know if anybody's going to hire me. <laughs> you know, coming from a corporate career that was relatively stable and relatively lucrative. And I know, I know, I know. Those are I big know. decisions. We're, though. We're, we're, all, we're all really sick of the entrepreneur story where it's like, I sacrificed my corporate career. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. but this
0: to me feels like it has more depth because that's a very real. A lot of times when you hear that story, I don't hear where they couldn't just go back out and get another job.
2: Well, and but that's, that's this sounds like a real risk. Yeah, it well, it is in the sense that, you know, when I was in D.C., <laughs> like any company that Googled me was going to be like, hell no, I don't think I would have been able to stay in the industry. Software is different because software is a lot more where anything goes. My part-time corporate contract is with Disney, and I can say that because they don't appear to care. I would have thought they had so many rules. Well, at least none that anybody's ever told me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you you get if you get a seasoned assist, just forward that to me. (laughs) But but like I I work on and off for Disney's uh, Seattle IT office. And so I come in and I I do technical writing for them and, you know, and like internal social media and things. And they do not give one single crap about what I do with my personal (laughs) time.
0: That's so cool. Well, even when I pull up your site at work, in a school district, they flag it as porn. I'm like, it's really? not
2: porn. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It's got <laughs> naked bodies on it. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I had a lot of trepidation about that. But the flip side of that is because of my privileges, I can find somebody willing to hire me. I mean, I have writing clients who aren't body image related. I have, you know, I work for a bookkeeping service. I do blogging for them. I work for a virtual assistant service. You know, I do freaking work for Disney. And I can pick up that work if I need to because of my privileges. Yes, I have limited myself. I don't know that I could get another clearance. Although the thing with clearances is, is that it's not about whether you do things that are maybe not mainstream approved. It's whether you hide them. So it would actually be a bigger problem if I had done things under a different name and then they were worried that I could be blackmailed. That's, oh, that's a that's okay. good like. If anybody Googles me, that is the first thing, you know, fat lady stuff is the first thing that comes up. And so I have significantly limited my corporate options. I decided that that risk was worth it. But again, I was able to make that decision because of my privileges. So it's just everything is interwoven. And so I am very aware that I have those privileges in a way that if I were in a different set of marginalizations, in a different relationship status, and if I didn't have a safety net, I'd be making very different decisions about what I was willing to do.
0: Yeah, and I do think that's important to acknowledge because it's really easy to judge someone else, especially if you went through a little bit of trepidation about doing something, you're like, well, everybody should just join me and be out here being loud and proud and doing what they you were know, destined to do when we don't really know what all would be at stake for them. Maybe it isn't the right choice for them. People have to do their own thing. Well, I wanted to ask, as we wrap up, when you chose Representation Matters, and then when you included body liberation photos into your branding, those were at two different stages, right? Mm -hmm. And what led to bringing in body liberation photos?
2: That has been my own evolution. So the original photography business name was actually Sweet Amaranth. It was just a combination of syllables I liked. (laughs) It It didn't mean anything. Oh, but it was sort of sweet and friendly and hard to pronounce. So that was kind of a problem. But a lot of people kept going, what's an amaranth? It's, it's, for the record, it's a green with a really pretty bright red flower. Thank <laughs> you. Because I thought
0: I knew and that is not what I was thinking.
2: So, <laughs> totally irrelevant. so then as an overlapping, a, a simultaneous business, I started doing the stock photos. And because um, that is a more of a business to business structure for a business, I kept it separate for a long time eventually I realized that I'm one human and I can only do so many things. So I have since consolidated all these different things that I used to do into one brand where I still do them, but they're all under body liberation photos. But when I started doing the stock photos, that business was named diverse stock photos. And that was a poor choice mm-hmm. because when people think diversity, they generally think about skin tone, which is totally valid, mind you. And at the time, about half of my models were various types of people of color, but about half weren't. And so what happened is when people looked at the site, they weren't thinking about diversity in other, oh. and, and people were getting mad because half my models were white and totally valid, yeah. totally valid. And so I went a year, year and a half under that name. And I was like, this is not coherent. The name is a hindrance. It is not transmitting what I want it to transmit. And so I ended up moving to representation matters. Because it does (laughs) very, it's very important. But I also had again, I had this sort of two businesses running simultaneously. And once again, to a lesser extent, but once again, I was I was finding a little bit that people were seeing representation and then not understanding that I primarily meant body size. And occasionally I was getting some strangeness and aggro off of that where people didn't Mm. really understand what I was doing. Again, it's it's this working towards coherency, working towards clarity. And then eventually i in sort of that simultaneous process of working towards being clear about what i'm offering sweet amaranth just was not working for me anymore it was confusing people it was hard to remember it was hard to spell and i said okay i need to merge these things anyway where am i going to go and at the time body liberation was a relatively new term but it just really resonated with me because i'll be honest from an seo standpoint i didn't want for it to be like fat acceptance photography <laughs> Because I was worried that I was going to limit it too much at that point. And just because I want to be clear about what I'm offering doesn't mean that I want it to be more intimidating than necessary. So body liberation, it seemed like a good compromise because it seemed very clear. But also some of my stock photos aren't of fat folks. Some of them are of people in the LGBT community. Some of them are, one of them is a Jewish woman. Actually, I've got a few Jewish folks on there, but not every single thing on there is about body size. And so I wanted to leave that open and open so that the business could grow while still being clear. So now everything is in body liberation photos.
0: I love that. I love that progression and knowing that that's a normal thing in business mm-hmm. to keep getting clearer and clearer and clearer with what you want to do and how you convey that to other people. Because to me now, I would think diversity would mean literally different kinds of humans, all kinds not just people of color. But I have noticed, especially white people think diversity always means people of color. And right. maybe and other people think a, that too. I don't know.
2: Right, And that's okay in the yeah. sense that I don't need to try to redefine the way a term is popularly understood just to sell photos. <laughs> Amen know? to that.
0: Well, <laughs> but that's a marketing fail, yes. If you stay so married to a concept when consumers aren't getting it, like it doesn't matter how much it made sense to one person. Once you realize nobody's getting it, like <laughs> give it up. It's it's time to make a shift. So
2: well, and, it, and it turned out that I was inadvertently occupying space in a, um, an area that wasn't necessarily mine to occupy, even though that wasn't my intent, that was the way it was being interpreted. And whether um, that was being interpreted by somebody who's white or by a black person or the person of color, you know, it, it doesn't really matter because once again, I'm not being cleared. So it doesn't matter whether I agree with that person who's sending me a snippy email, (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter whether I agree with them. The lesson is that I was not being coherent enough. And, you know, here in five years, it may turn out that body liberation is no longer serving me either as a concept or as a term for my business. And maybe I will migrate to something else. I don't know.
0: Right, right. Oh, I love that flexibility. That is awesome. Thank you so much for doing this twice. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's been a
0: pleasure both <laughs> well, I feel like now we're for real friends. Like the first one was a Thank trial you. run and now we're going to be friends forever. And this Thank was you. great. Where can people find you to follow you on IG and see the content coming straight from you, not the stolen content and your website?
2: So like I was just talking about with like consolidating everything, you can find everything at bodyliberationphotos.com that has the client photography, stock photography, a whole bunch of free resources, including a free book on how to find a body positive photographer near you. There's some free stock photos there. That is also where you can find all of the stock photos. You can find my shop there that I run. I have a lot of different fingers and a lot of different pies and it's all there. I'm on Instagram at body liberation with Lindley. L i n d l e y, and on Facebook at Body Liberation with Lindley Ashline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Lindley Ashline, but don't expect much.
0: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I don't even tell anybody about my Twitter account anymore. It is one hundred percent abandoned. I only looked over there to see what people were saying yesterday, like just <laughs> whenever there's drama on the news, I'm like, I want to see what kind of people <laughs> see what Twitter I says. Have. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for coming. I, I can talk to you forever. We didn't even get to the box, and I'll, we'll have to cover all this, I guess, in the show notes, or do something another day.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think we should do it a third time, but keep this one. Too. Perfect. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh Lord. Yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Doc. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Lindley, for being so gracious and coming on the show a second time. And I'm happy to report that I obviously did not lose this recording, but I definitely want to have Lindley on again in the future because her work Jess has covered so much territory. There's so many other things to discuss about the work that she has done and the work she is doing that I think is fascinating and would really be of service to all of you. Make sure you visit Body Liberation Photos and check out what she's doing. If you really want to represent diversity on your site or through your brand, this is a great place to get stock photos. So I know for me, I have seen things improve as far as what kinds of representation you can find in most stock photo sites. I like to use Canva a lot. So I basically use whatever they're doing on most days. But there are a couple other sites like nappy.co that really has a lot of pictures of Black people, which are super, super hard to find, or they used to be even more difficult to find. And even the other day on another stock photo site, I was looking for a cartoonish character or a vector image. But what it came up with was so outrageously offensive. So if you just want to find a picture of a Black woman typing on a computer, good luck. When you finally do find someone who has the complexion that you're aiming for, the chances are that they're going to be in a very small body. So if you're hoping to find a fat Black woman doing something that we do every day, like typing or working, again, good luck with that. You might find a fat person standing on a scale or something like that. But just finding them just living their lives and treating their fatness as though it's neutral, that's still is very difficult to find when it comes to stock photos. So Lindley is an excellent resource. So make sure you check that out. These days, more than ever, I think it's really, really crucial that we think about how our purchasing decisions vote for what we want to see more of in the marketplace what are you trying to encourage? Are you really sending your money in the places that you want it to go? I know for me, I definitely want to support people who are doing the type of intersectional work that Lindley is doing. One, because I think it's the right thing to do. Two, because I know that seeing visual representations of body diversity helps people accept the reality of their body size and get to where they can see it as a neutral. If you are a trans person, remember that when we talk about accepting the reality of the body, when you are accepting who you really are and trans is one of your identities, then accepting that the gender you were assigned at birth and the gender that you are is not the same is part of that process for you. And accepting that there are things about your body that you may need to modify to feel comfortable not everyone needs to modify their body to feel comfortable. But again, if that is literally tied to your trans identity, then bod pause in the sense that, oh, everyone should just accept their body and never modify it is obviously nonsense and not applicable to all experiences. When it comes to body neutrality, and I'm thinking in terms of body size alone, not there being a mismatch between your true gender identity and the gender you were assigned at birth. So I want to include that caveat and I probably should have included it at the beginning. We're talking body size alone. And I definitely will be having more trans guests on the show in the future to specifically speak about their relationships to their bodies when it comes to food because it is a nuanced topic that is not covered very often at all and definitely needs more attention. And I think even if you are a cis person, this information will be beneficial. So we're absolutely going to cover that. That is coming in the future and it's definitely gonna take more than one guest for us to get at least kind of a holistic view of the issues around body image and body size for trans folks versus cis folks. And one person obviously cannot speak for everyone, but it is Definitely helpful, like we mentioned today, to have a variety of people around you because we're stronger together, number one. And secondly, people can reflect back to you areas of our own bias. So as a cis person, there's a lot of things that are not on my radar that I'm sure I'm missing. So in order for me to grow as a person and to fully embrace everyone in our rainbow family, absolutely, we are going to be centering on those conversations that we don't get exposed to enough so that even if you're not having these conversations in your day-to-day life this is a place that you can come you can grow you can identify your own areas of bias and keep evolving into the most happy loving empathetic version of yourself be sure to join us for our next episode if you haven't joined the mailing list yet you're really missing out that's how you make sure you never miss a bonus and you never miss any special programs or- webinars that I'm doing in addition to the show. To get on the mailing list, just visit www.sendfox.com slash Dahlia Kinsey, that's D-A-L-I-A-K-I-N-S-E-Y, so that you can have BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus health and happiness tips delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks again for joining me. I'll see you next time.
1: Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey, smile on them. Live your life just how you like it. It's your party. Negativity is not invited. For my queer folk, my trans, people of color, let your voice be heard. Look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first. You were born to win. Head up high with confidence. This show is for everyone. So I thank you for tuning in. Let's go.